Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. And welcome indeed to The Inner Life today here on this Monday, April 5th, the first Monday of Easter, Monday in the octave of Easter. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond, and so glad to be back here with you on The Inner Life I hope you had a really blessed and wonderful Holy Week last week. I hope you had the opportunity to listen to some of Father Rocky's Holy Week mission that aired during this hour. But of course, like I said, very happy to be back here with you on The Inner Life today. And I hope you had a wonderful Easter celebration yesterday for Easter Sunday and that it's still continuing for you. Uh, We're going to talk about that here today on The Inner Life, but also want to ask you, how early did you end up waking up yesterday to celebrate Easter Sunday, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus? And I was thinking about this, uh, Mary Magdalene. She was actually up before sunrise on the very first Easter Sunday. She didn't know it was going to be a celebration. She wasn't anticipating that. But St. John's Gospel account says that she went out early in the morning while it was still dark. And St. Matthew's Gospel says that she came to the tomb just as day was dawning. So how early were you awake yesterday? Were you excited to be up early to celebrate the resurrection? Or did you, maybe you celebrated by sleeping in, getting a little extra sleep, uh, you know, if, especially if you went to the Easter Vigil Mass. And then how did you celebrate throughout the day? Did you indulge in something delicious after all your Lenten fasting? Well, the reason I'm asking how early you got up is also because our five-year-old daughter, her name is Avonlea, and she was up at 3.30 in the morning, 3.30 a.m., and uh, what most of us probably call the middle of the night. Uh, She came into our bedroom, and on top of that, for many years, we've actually gone to the Easter Vigil Mass, and the Mass at our parish didn't end until about 10 o'clock at night this year. And so I don't think Avonlea was actually in bed, uh, ready to fall asleep until close to about 11 o'clock on Saturday night. But the excitement, the Easter basket that, you know, she knows is going to be filled with chocolates and jelly beans and toys and goodies, gifts, whatever, it was just too much for her. She came into our bedroom at 3.30 to ask if she could go downstairs and look and see what was in her Easter basket. And my wife, she looked at the time and she said, no, go back to bed. And so she told Avonlea to wait until I ended up waking up in the morning. I'm usually the earliest riser in our family. But not when it comes to Christmas and Easter. Uh, Those two mornings, that's when at least a couple of our kids will wake up before me. And even though my wife sent Avonlea back to her bed, and and later that morning when I stepped out in the hallway, she was immediately out of her room, wide awake. You could tell that she had been awake for quite a while. And she had had an older sister and an older brother that had already gone down to get into their Easter baskets, and they were excited. And so older siblings, you know, seeing them go down, dive into their Easter baskets, that meant to her she could follow their lead. 
So I was in the kitchen. I was making a pot of coffee, and Avonlea is standing there. She's excitedly telling me about all the different things that she, all the different treats she had in her basket. And she was standing in the kitchen there wearing a headband that had bunny ears that she'd pulled out of her basket. She was still in her nightgown and just her mouth is going so fast explaining to me about her favorite chocolate that she had there that she found in the basket or the fun little toy that she's now holding. And I was a little worried that she was going to fall apart later that day, you know, being awake at 3.30 in the morning. And then even if she got a couple hours of sleep before she came downstairs with her other siblings, I thought she might have a meltdown in the afternoon. But she actually did really, really well. And she had no regrets about getting up so early. But looking at Avonlea and that excitement to wake up for all of the Easter goodies that she knew that she'd find yesterday morning, it got me to thinking, you know, do, do you, do I, do we still have that kind of excitement about Easter? Not necessarily for the candy uh, like you might have when you were younger, but are you excited to celebrate the resurrection after coming through Lent? And I want to ask, how do you celebrate the resurrection of Jesus in your home? What do you do to make Easter have that special significance? How do you continue to celebrate Easter beyond just Easter Sunday? How have you experienced that joy of the resurrection in your own life? And has it made a difference in the way that you interact with your family and your friends and your coworkers? Can they see that that exuberance in your life. And today we're going to talk about how we live out, how we celebrate the resurrection in our lives. And it's not just one day, but it's something that permeates us and continues on. And joining us, a very regular voice here on Relevant Radio and a regular guest here on The Inner Life, Father Dave Heaney. And he's a priest in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles and the pastor of St. Bruno Catholic Church in Whittier, California. And Father Dave, welcome to The Inner Life and Happy Easter. Happy Easter. So wonderful to be with you. And yeah. A great family story. I loved your story. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it was it was better in retrospect rather than uh, at 3.30 in the morning when she first came in. But, um, you know, as you, as you were talking, I was thinking, uh, you know, we had, of course, our family celebration here at the parish. The parish is my family. And we had a sunrise service, uh, which actually started before sunrise. And I have to tell you that I am not a morning person. But, you know, I was up there saying Mass before sunrise, and I told the people, I began by saying, I'm looking forward to the time when Scripture scholars suddenly discover that Jesus actually rose around 10.30 in the morning. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I used to—I've um, I, I, switched in my life. I'm now much more of a morning person, but mm. I used to stay up late, and I would have, you know, different people who would say, oh, well, you know, Jesus always <clears throat> was up early in the morning to say prayers, and I said, well— I like to look at St. Paul. He was up late in the prison singing and praying there, and so I, 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 I go with the St. Paul model. I think I do, too. <laughs> so, well, Father Dave, as we look here today at Easter, um, you know, I think our contemporary society, we see this with Christmas, we see it with Easter, we see it with a lot of different things, and that day, that one single day, it comes, it hits, and then... The rest of the world moves on. Okay, Christmas was here, and now we're on. What's coming up for you know the new year, or what's coming up for the next holiday? And that would be the same here with us. You know, all of the the stores they have all of the Easter items are now on the clearance shelves, the discount shelves. But the Easter season is actually a very significantly long season. I mean, actually, even longer than than Christmas, and. 
when we are looking at the Easter season, since it does last so long, does it? Do you think that speaks to the fact that celebrating the resurrection should really be the biggest time of rejoicing for us as Catholics? And and how do you how do you suggest we approach that mm-hmm. initially and live that out? That's well said, and I and I. I agree also about this, the difference between how the church celebrates events and how the world does, especially about Christmas and Easter. You're right that the world kind of builds up to Christmas all through October, November, December, and then ends. And for us, because Christmas is the start of the salvation story, that starts our celebration. So our Christmas uh, season starts, starts with Christmas Day and goes for several weeks afterwards. And the Easter celebration is even longer. Uh, this is the beginning. This is the start of the new creation that Jesus installed by the resurrection. And so uh, it really kind of informs everything we do for the rest of the year. Uh, East, you know, without Easter, there, there is no Catholic Church. There is no faith at all. Everything founds and, and is founded on this event of the resurrection. It is the happiest day of the year. It's the most important day of the year. Um, and it and it actually continues throughout the year. You know, every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection. So really, one way of continuing this idea or connecting it with Easter is almost on every single Sunday of the year, you can get up and and say to your family on your way to church, Happy Easter, because you wouldn't be going to church at all if it had not been for the resurrection. Uh, Sunday is the most important day of the week. It's the day that we celebrate the resurrection and so every Sunday really is Easter Sunday. And I think one way, one practical way of continuing this idea is just to have that thought. Perhaps maybe every Sunday just say, Happy Easter, everyone. It'll startle them. They'll think, you know, <laughs> what are you doing? <clears throat> but it will certainly remind them that uh, uh, everything, you know, really kind of revolves around this really remarkable historical event that happened only one time. A person rises from the dead in a glorified body. Happy Easter. I think, I think you're exactly right. I think you would catch some people off guard if in October or November on a Sunday you were to greet them with a happy Easter. Uh, it would probably turn a couple heads, make them do a double take. Wait, what did you just say? Well, you know where this practically comes, and I get this question generally from kids almost every season of Lent. Because, you know, kids are always trying to get out of things or, you know, they're every every uh, eighth grader is really a junior lawyer trying to get out of things. And so let's say during Lent, people decide to give up something for Lent. And then they hear something along the lines where, you know, Sunday is a free day. You don't have to give something up. And actually, the Sundays are part of Lent. You know, we have the first and second and third Sunday of Lent. They're part of the 40 days. But Sundays are actually not part of the discipline of Lent. So it, it is a day that if you've given up something uh, for Lent that you, you don't have to do that on Sunday, and that's because the church's understanding of how important Sunday is. Every Sunday is a celebration. Every Sunday is a resurrection day. You can actually wear white vestments on a Sunday every day of the year uh, because that is just, again, everything points, everything points to and flows from Easter. It is the happiest day of the year. Well, and you you said, you know, it's what our entire faith is founded on, Mm -hmm. and I was thinking about that, you know, St. Paul writes in his first letter to the Corinthians that if the resurrection didn't happen, happen, then our faith is empty, and we are the most pitiable people of all. 
And so for us, as followers of Christ, as St. Paul makes it clear, either the resurrection did or did not happen. If it didn't happen, then we're all wasting our time. But if it did happen, then we have amazingly good news, the best news of all for the world. Boy, that is so well said. And, uh, you know, there's always this, uh, these scriptural scholars and different uh, philosophers that will debate the reality of the, crucifix- the, the reality of the resurrection. But it's quite clear, if you really think about it, just thinking about yourself, would you, would you be willing to lay down your life uh, for a ghost? Would you be willing to lay down your life uh, because the apostles had their faith renewed? No, nobody would do that. And from the very beginning days of the church, the church, you know, Jesus rose into a very dangerous world. When he rose from the dead, there was still the Roman Empire and the early church was persecuted. And so they would only have stuck to their guns. They would only have kept their faith if they had that profound experience that the resurrection actually happened, that someone rose up and walked out of the grave. If that wasn't true, uh, there's no one that would have dedicated their life to it. No one would have put up any any suffering, and no one would have en- endured martyrdom if it really wasn't so profoundly true. And St. Paul is uh, our earliest writer on it. <clears throat> he, he's most His earliest epistles are before the Gospels. And so here's a person who dedicated his entire life to something that was factual and and, you know, gave his life for something that actually happened. This historical person of Jesus walked out of the tomb. Well, and, you know, you were talking about the apostles, and they wouldn't have risked their lives, and they did. They, out of all of the original apostles, um, and then Matthias, who ends up replacing Judas after Judas kills himself— Every one of the original apostles then goes on to die a martyr's death with the exception of John the Apostle. That's the only one who actually, the church has the tradition that he died of natural causes. Um, And I think that's even the case for the successive at least first handful of popes. I think every single one of them was executed, you know, Linus and uh, Clement and, and going on down the line. I, I forget at what point it stopped that the, the popes were no longer martyred, but there were several just in a row, and they knew as they were stepping in to take on that role following after St. Peter that they were probably signing up for their death very quickly. Uh, that's amazing, you know, um <clears throat> You know, when, when we come to church today, we, we generally come into, you know, certainly before the pandemic, you walk into a church that's either air-conditioned or it has heating, it has lighting, it has comfortable pews. Uh, we put uh, cushions in our pews. Um, everything about it is kind of convenient. Uh, none of that was true for the early church. Uh, you know, people come to St. Bruno, they, they come in a sense of safety. Nothing bad's going to happen to them. But in the early church... Just to go to assemble with your fellow Christians puts your life in jeopardy. You would certainly be discriminated against at its lightest form of persecution, but you could be uh, you could lose your livelihood, and at and at worst you could be imprisoned and and martyred. So why would people go through all that trouble if it really wasn't based on something profoundly factual? Uh, people are not going to do that for an idea or for a. <clears throat> you know, uh, a sense of, uh, you know, a new sense of meaning. 
Or even to keep up a hoax. Or to keep up a hoax, exactly. You just can't get everybody on the same page. They're not going to. They're not going to, you know, spill the beans. Uh, so I think we can we can learn a lot about the factual the factuality of the crucifix of the resurrection from the experience of the early church that not only was was true for that first generation, but generation after generation after generation, uh, people wouldn't follow something unless it was really founded on something rock solid, um, and and I think that's. And it's, it was amazingly successful. Uh, you know, these are pals, these are fishermen from the Holy Land. Why would Romans even bother to listen to these people? And yet within a few generations, the entire Roman Empire turns to Christianity. Uh, it really is, uh, and it all begins on this Easter Sunday and, of course, followed up by Pentecost, all these remarkable events in the early church that just provided them with just so, so much grace and so much energy to bring this story of the resurrection uh, throughout the whole world. We're speaking with Father Dave Heaney, a priest in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, pastor of St. Bruno Catholic Church in Whittier, California. And uh, even though we've been talking about martyrdom, we've been talking about some of the persecution that the early church faced, we're actually talking today about celebrating the resurrection and how it should permeate our lives day in and day out and continue beyond just Easter Sunday itself. And I want to ask, how have you celebrated the resurrection in your own life? How have you celebrated it beyond Easter Sunday? Have you, how have you experienced that joy of the resurrection in your own life has it made that difference in the way that you interact with other people? We'd love to hear how you're able to continue that celebration of the resurrection, and you can give us a call. Our phone lines are open, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. You can also email us, innerlife at relevantradio.com. More on celebrating the resurrection here on The Inner Life right after this on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. If you're looking for a little help on your journey of faith, our priests are here for you. Call now, 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. Or email us, innerlife at relevantradio.com. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to The Inner Life. I'm Josh Raymond, and we're speaking with our spiritual director, Father Dave Heaney, a priest in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. We're talking about celebrating the resurrection of Jesus yesterday, Easter Sunday, but that's not it. We actually just began the season of Easter. And so how do you continue that celebration throughout the entire season leading up to the Feast of Pentecost? Uh, that's how long this, the, the season is. It's, it's 50 days that we're going to be celebrating the resurrection here. And we'd love to hear how you live that out in your life and how the resurrection has been something you've been able to incorporate into your life on Sundays, every day of the year, and you can give us a call, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. And Father Dave, you know, years ago, I remember hearing 
that the season of Easter should be this huge celebration for any Catholic, but especially this first week, this octave of Easter, as we call it, liturgically. And I don't remember who I heard say this, but there was this comment that somebody made years ago that stuck with me that um, it should be to the point we should all be drinking champagne for breakfast all week long uh, from from uh, Easter Sunday then to the second uh, Sunday in Easter. And now uh, I, I did not drink champagne for breakfast this morning, and that probably won't work for anybody who has a morning commute. But... Looking at that um, that kind of mindset for this week as we're celebrating this octave of Easter, is there anything that you're doing to kind of make it that special week for yourself? Anything that you could you know suggest for anybody else who's saying, "Yeah, I I, I do. I want to embrace celebrating the resurrection." That's a, I love that story about the champagne. <clears throat> um, and you know, just one thing. Just as you were saying about champagne, I was thinking that champagne is usually something that's popped out of a surprise celebration. You know, a wonderful surprise, and certainly that's what Easter was for all of his followers, and certainly a surprise for the for the Romans. But I think uh, the principal way, I think that one way that I use a lot for myself, thinking about Easter Sunday. Uh, and again, you know, this is something that happened 2,000 years ago. We're, we are recalling something that already happened. We have already been in the Easter season for 2,000 years. But because we have these yearly annual reminders, it's just a good reaffirmation of things like hope, uh, that, uh, that the God's plan is never over. You know, the, the Roman soldiers walked down the hill from Calvary kind of you know, kind of uh, rubbing their hands and saying, well, I guess that's the end of the Jesus story. We don't have to worry about him anymore. And God's plan never comes to an end. All of a sudden, to their surprise, he's back on Easter Sunday morning. So, so often we think that, well, I guess nothing can be done. It's all over. Um, You know, it's hopeless. And Jesus has a way of surprising us uh, by by a sudden outpouring of grace that we might have, a sudden outpouring of wisdom. Easter reminds us that his plan is never over, that he's still in charge and still has wonderful gifts to place uh, in our path. If you're facing an illness, you're facing an economic problem, facing the pandemic, uh, never give up hope. I think it's the, that's the message that Jesus is, is certainly bringing when, when he arrives to, to come to his disciples who are, you know, cowering in fear still from, from Romans. So it certainly is a, a powerful uh, a lesson of hope. And I think the other thing for me is, it just reminds me, and again, you know, we talked so much in the last few minutes about the factuality of the resurrection, that this is something that actually happened, a bodily resurrection. It wasn't just a resurrection of faith or a resurrection of an idea, but an actual physical person. It reminds me that the love that I express to the people around me has to be real and concrete. It's not something that's just in my head. It's not just having nice ideas about people, but love is something that's always expressed in behavior. It's visible, something that can be seen. Those remarkable times when Jesus says to Thomas, you know, put your hands in my side, uh, touch me, you know, give me something to eat. It's all ways of, exp- of saying that my presence among you is tangible, it's practical, something that you can see. So I think, I, I certainly think that it just reminds me uh, to always have this sense of hope that God's plan is never over, and that 
you know, Jesus means for our relationships with the people around us to not be something in our imagination or just something in our head, but something that they can see. They can they can visibly see uh, the kind of love that we have for them. Uh, so hope and and real practical love are are Easter gifts. Uh, and I love what you said there, that we've been in the Easter season for 2,000 years, that uh, yeah, <laughs> even yeah. though we have the different annual uh, seasons that we go through as a church, we as a, a Christian people, we've been in that, that Easter season for 2,000 years. I think that's just a beautiful thought. Mm. You know, I remember, uh, I, I think I first learned that actually as a priest. You know, very often priests assemble for different services, maybe you go to another parish for a, a funeral or, or some event, and there's always the concern about making sure that you bring the right vestments, the right color, uh, if this is a saint or if it's a memorial or the season of the year. And I remember, you know, that I was taught that you can actually wear a white vestment every day of the year, because every day of the year really is a celebration of the Eucharist, uh, of the resurrection, and especially Sunday. Uh, so we are, we have been in the Easter season for, for 2,000 years. Uh, mm. And so Christians have to be people of hope. We have to be people that believe that God's plan is never over. Uh, we can never be like those Roman soldiers wringing our hands and saying, well, that's the end of Jesus. Um, and, um, and it just shows that Christians, that our faith has to be real and visible. It's sacramental. It's something that can be seen. It's an outward sign of that interior interior grace. And that should be something, you know, I'm glad we have this season of Easter because if we don't have reminders, we forget. I think that's the genius of, of the church, uh, really the Ten Command, the Commandment, inviting us to come to church every seven days, keep holy the Lord's Day. And the genius of the church to have this liturgical year so that we have this every once in a while reminder of important things, Christmas, Pentecost, and especially Easter, if we don't have these reminders, we're just going to forget. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're human beings. And so this, this beautiful way that the church deals with our forgetful humanity by inviting us to look again at these events in the life of Jesus that, that really provide for us lasting happiness. Now, this is also the second Easter that we've mm. been through where yeah. we're still in uh, the COVID pandemic. You know, last year for Easter, I know for us, not a single parish in our community was open at that point. Um, that has changed a bit, but there's still, a, you know, there, there's still that bit of lockdown that, you know, and, and we even saw it in some of the different news coverage over the weekend where there were police in different areas that were going in and breaking up different Good Friday services or, um, you know, trying to limit what people were doing. Um, we really have this different setting that we're in for now over a year. And some of those celebrations that we're talking about here, Father Dave, it might, might feel like we can't celebrate the way we really want to. I know. You know, the good news is we are slowly coming out of it. You know, I, yesterday we had really had really remarkable number of people coming to all of our masses. Uh, we had uh, seven masses beginning with that sunrise service. <clears throat> and uh, we just had a large number of people there. They were all distance and distance and they had the mass on and everything. But I remember seeing standing there looking over everyone was this uh, local policeman. 
And he was all suited up with, you know, his uh, weapon and handcuffs and, you know, all the different things that police wear. He was really quite uh, tacked up. And I said, oh, my gosh, I hope he's not here to monitor us or to shut us down because of some infraction. I had a chance to talk to him, and he was just a very devout Catholic officer. And he just said, no, I, I have some time, and I just wanted to make sure I came to Mass on Easter Sunday. So it was really a beautiful witness. But I know that uh, there is this really remarkable parallel between Jesus you know, coming out of a tomb and our experience, really, of the whole year. Uh, slowly coming out of a kind of entombment where people have felt closed in and shut off from the world and, uh, you know, kind of with a stone rolled across the front of their house where they have to stay at home orders and all those really remarkable restrictions. And there is a sense of hope that we're slowly coming out of it. It is kind of a slow emerging. But if you think about it, it's a big difference between our emerging out of the pandemic and Jesus coming out of the tomb. And that's this, that we are only coming out of the pandemic, kind of emerging out into life because the world is safer. Because of the vaccine and herd immunity and all those different things, it's actually safer to go out into the world. But Jesus went out into a world that was extremely dangerous. He was going out into the world where just three days before they had crucified him. And it really just shows the power of his love that nothing would stop Jesus from being with the people that he loves. Not a tomb, not sinfulness, not even death is going to stop him from this mission of love into the world, of bringing the kingdom of God. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, people are slowly coming into the world because it's safer and even they're still kind of concerned. And you just contrast that with this bold, courageous compassion of Jesus uh, his compassion for us and our sinfulness and his courage to boldly go into a world that is dangerous. Uh, I just thought the parallel was really, really remarkable. And just uh, this Easter, perhaps more than others, I just had a sense of this overpowering love that God has for us, that not even death was going to, uh, was going to stop him. So I think, you know, it's a beautiful image of coming out. Finally, we have this sense of hope. Uh, but it just shows how how even more powerful God's love for us, mm. love is for us, and um, to remain uh, people of hope. It reminds me of a line in uh, the Song of Solomon in the Old Testament, where uh, the the author says, "Love is stronger than death," and we see that then being the foreshadowing of the ultimate love that is given to us through Christ, not just through his sacrifice, but loving us to the point that he, he uh, is stronger than death. He comes back and opens up the gates of heaven for all of us, that we can have that hope of salvation. We're speaking with Father Dave Heaney, a priest in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, and I want to know how you are celebrating the resurrection, not just one day yesterday, Easter Sunday, but during the season of Easter and, and throughout your entire life. How do you celebrate the resurrection? How has it made a difference in the way that you interact with other people? Can people tell that you are a child of God, that you have been a follower of Jesus, that it's made that transforming difference in your life, you can give us a call, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And Father Dave, let's go to Nancy. She's listening out in Sacramento. And hi, Nancy. Welcome to The Inner Life today. Okay, thank you for taking my call. Anyway, I'm kind of glad that you're very glad 
that you're talking about Easter season because I was a little behind and didn't get all my Easter cards mailed, and I made quite a few <laughs> myself. So I was I changed them to uh, the last ones. I haven't even sent some yet. Uh, I changed it to Happy Easter to Happy Easter season. <laughs> <laughs> and I even had to look up when Pentecost was to see how much time I had. So anyway, I'm still <clears throat> celebrating with the family and grandchildren and great-grandchildren uh, a happy special Easter season and sending a little picture uh, with Jesus with children with those for the children. So anyway, I'm just so glad that you mentioned Easter season. I had really thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful, Nancy. Uh uh, I think that's actually a really beautiful thing to say. It re- just reminds people that it actually extends over several weeks. It's not They're not going to think of you as being late with your Easter card, but a beautiful reminder to them uh, to continue the celebration that it kind of extends over over several weeks. So, uh, boy, gee, what a practical thing to say. I, I actually hadn't thought of that. That's a really great, just to wish people a happy Easter season, to add that word to the end of it. Um, really uh, says a beautiful thing and, and an important thing for people to remember. Happy Easter season. Yeah, thank you so much for calling Nancy and sharing how you're continuing that in your own life. And it also makes me think, Father Dave, of we haven't said Alleluia for the last 40 days, right. you know, the last six weeks. And it really, I, I, I actually right now as I'm talking about it, I'm kind of getting chills just thinking about, boy, when you, uh, that, that very first time you get to say Alleluia again at Mass, um, it, it really does make an impact on you. Boy, we haven't said this for a long time now. Yeah. And we get to, uh, and, and the, the church continues on with that in other ways, too. You know, I think about um, coming up here at noon, um, we're going to have Mass on Relevant Radio. And every day, we typically start with the Angelus. Well, the church even replaces the Angelus, the, that traditional noon prayer with the Regina Chaley. And you say over and over and over again, Alleluia, through that prayer. And we ring the bells uh, at the Gloria. We, we sing the Gloria. Uh, so uh, many, many ways. Uh, we, we did have our Holy Saturday service. We had it in the church on Saturday with the beautiful uh, procession of the Paschal candle, the Easter fire, the lights slowly coming up. Uh, at the Gloria, uh, beautiful ways of of just signaling, uh, and I think that's an important thing too. That just remember that Easter really is is God's gift to us for our happiness. We can admire His courage, we can admire His compassion. We are inspired to be people of hope, uh, but all of that should produce really a sense of happiness. Um, that everything about Jesus' life was for our happiness. I always tell people to uh, uh, put on their uh, bathroom mirror uh, so that's the first thing they see in the morning, these two verses, which is John 10.10 and John 15.11, which reveal why Jesus came in the first place. I have come that you might have life and life to the fullest, not just life, but full life, and I have come that you might have joy and joy that is complete. And Easter Sunday ratifies and verifies that this is a gift that cannot uh, go away, that will never go away, that will always be available for us. So, you know, why did Jesus rise from the dead? For our happiness. Why did Jesus do everything he ever said and did? For your 
happiness. And it's yours for the asking, so don't forget to ask for it. You know, ask for it to come into your into your life. Maybe if you haven't done it before, let this Easter season be the time that you do that. You know, the other thing that kind of strikes me on, as you're talking about happiness and joy, you know, that John 15, 11 verse, that our joy is complete. Um, it makes me think about how we also have other, uh, I guess, warnings, you know, from Jesus himself, from St. Paul in the New Testament, where they say, be glad when you are persecuted because of me. You know, that's what Jesus says at the end of the Beatitudes, rejoice and be glad. And we have St. Paul who writes and talks about, you know, we're going to have to endure, and that if we endure, then we shall reign. Having that joy in spite of sufferings or difficulties or obstacles that we have to go through, that, that to me, I think, is even more of a witness when you have somebody who's going through something difficult, but that joy is so apparent in, the, in just, you know, it exudes from them. And what transforms, what transforms any suffering is love. You know, I, uh, that sounds like a trite phrase, but it's very practical. I mean, sometimes when I'm in an office building and I see people at their desks, almost 100% of the time, I mean, literally 100% of the time, when you look at someone who's working at their desk, if they're in an office, they will have a picture of their family somewhere on that desk, a picture of their spouse, their children. Uh, they'll have a picture of their family, the people that they love. And, you know, they have to get up early in the morning. They have to get on the commute. Maybe they like their job. Maybe they don't. There's all kinds of challenges. There's all kinds of difficulties, hardships maybe at work. And it's when they look at the picture of their family that it makes it all worthwhile. They're doing it out of love for their family. So the love for their family transforms all the sacrifices they have to make for them, you know, by going to work. And look at Jesus on the cross. He's on the cross, and you don't hear him say, oh, my God, this hurts. Oh, that's so painful. You don't hear anything like that. All you hear is, you know, mother, here is your son. Son, here is your mother. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. This day will be with me in paradise. Even on the cross, his love transforms his suffering into caring for other people. His mother, John, all of us uh, to be forgiven for we don't know what they do. Uh, really, it's just remarkable that love transforms everything. Uh, and and so, you know, if if it turns out that we are persecuted for our faith, that's a challenge, that's a suffering, that hurts, it's a, it's a true pain. But it is transformed when we know that we are being faithful, that we are staying true to our faith uh, and even praying for our persecutors. Mm. Uh, it's really... A, had a big impact on the Roman Empire, and they said, "This is this, we've never seen anything like this. And that kind of startled them, shook them up a little bit, and really remarkably within a few generations, even the Roman Empire turned to Christ. Mm. That transformation, when has that happened in your life? When have you experienced that? How has the resurrection of Jesus made that difference, that transformation for you? And how have you been able to take that and carry it out into the world in your life? How have you been able to live out and celebrate the resurrection? We'd love to hear from you. You can give us a call, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, email 
innerlife at relevantradio.com. More with our spiritual director, Father Dave Heaney, here on The Inner Life right after this on Relevant Radio and relevantradio.com. If you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. Call now, 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. The Inner Life with Josh Raymond on Relevant Radio. To the inner life, we're speaking with our spiritual director, Father Dave Heaney, here about living out the resurrection, about celebrating beyond just Easter Sunday, celebrating throughout our lives, celebrating throughout this Easter season that we are in right now. And you're welcome to call in and share with us how you're living out the Easter season. 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Or email innerlife at relevantradio.com. And Father Dave, another thing that I was thinking about is when Jesus ended up showing himself to his followers after the resurrection, we get a lot of St. Peter. Uh, You know, while he's walking around after those days of the crucifixion, we don't really have any insight into what happened from the point that he he ended up denying Jesus there in the Praetorium, and then he ends up running out after he denies him, the cock crows in the early hours of the morning there, and the next time we see Peter is where Mary Magdalene comes back and says, I've seen the Lord, and then Peter and John, they run, they race off to the tomb to see, and he's racing there when he ends up later on going fishing overnight. As soon as he recognizes that it's Jesus on the shore, he doesn't wait for the boat to get back. He just jumps out and gets back to shore as quickly as he can. He wants to be near Jesus, but at the same time, he's dealing with all of this guilt from his denial. And in spite of the guilt, he wants to be next to Jesus whenever that opportunity presents itself. And so I'm thinking, uh, if we've struggled through Lent, if there's been things where we felt like, oh, we didn't do all the things we wanted to do, or we fell short, you know, can, can we take our cues from Peter at that point, not to be discouraged and get down on ourselves, not to beat ourselves up for, for whatever shortcomings or failures we might have experienced over Lent, but to look for that next opportunity to be close to Jesus? Take our cue from Jesus. You know, there's that beautiful section when Peter says to Jesus, uh, depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Mm, Right. Uh, You know, really what an honest statement. And what Jesus says next is remarkable. He doesn't comment on that at all. He says, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. So I will make you, Peter. You, You don't have to rely on yourself. I will be the one who will train you. I will be the one who will shape you into a into a, a leader of uh, the disciples. Um, so I've always felt this remarkable, uh, you know, these stories that were later written down in the Gospels had been circulated, you know, uh, from, the, from the very beginning. And I, I thought the greatest sign of humility for Peter is not something that's actually written in the Gospels, but something we can infer. 
We know from the very beginning that the very first thing that the early Christians did was they gathered for the breaking of the bread. They gathered for Mass. That was the very first thing that happened. They would gather for the breaking of the bread, and they would also tell, there was no Bible to read, but they would tell the stories. So here we have St. Peter, you know, presiding at the breaking of the bread, and perhaps some of the stories that are being told are the stories about him <laughs> and how he uh, denied Jesus and, you know, did this stupid thing and this kind of impulsive thing. So look at the humility of Peter, uh, who was the leader of the church, the head of the disciples, celebrating Mass, and yet having to hear stories of his own journey, as kind of chaotic and wild as it might have been at different times. That, I think, shows the profound humility of, of, uh, of Peter, and perhaps why Jesus chose Peter in the first place. A man of profound ability, profound strengths, and also profound, eventually profound humility. Someone who knew what it was like to fall, someone who knew what it was like to sin, and yet someone who knew what it was like to receive the Lord's forgiveness and, and to come back. Uh, so, you know, we tell these stories about St. Peter and we say, oh, you know, why did he say this? Why did he say that? Imagine you are St. Peter yourself having to hear these stories uh, during Mass. <laughs> it was always a beautiful image for me. Now, I also remember reading at some point, and I, I, I don't know about the historicity of this, but I remember yeah. reading it that actually in the early church, unlike now where we have private confession, that a lot of times confessions would be done in front of the Christian community and that people would have to just be completely honest and upfront about, about it. And I'm so glad that I don't live in a, in a, a time where that's the practice. Um, have you heard that as yes. far as the early church? Yes, uh, but I would just change one thing that you said. Uh, I don't think they had the sense that they had to do that. Okay. They, they, they wanted willingly to do that. wanted to. They willingly did that because their attitude was, you know, who am I fooling? You know, we're, we're all in the same boat. Uh, and, uh, you know, in, in, that, in that sense, and it also it shows the tremendous level of trust that they had in one another. Uh, and, you know, people who were not family, that was the thing that so startled the Romans. Romans loved their own families, but they could care less about the family next door. And here were these Christians that loved everyone so much that they called everyone brother and sister. So, you know, the experience of the resurrection and Pentecost just brought this community together with a tremendous sense of trust uh, and humility uh, so that when they would confess their sins, yeah, private confession didn't come in until much later. So in the beginning, it was, um, uh, in fact, that's where the Lord have mercy comes. It, the Lord have mercy really was a long, that was the litany of things. People would say a sin and then say, Lord have mercy. And they would say this behavior and say, and Lord have mercy. You know, we have it cut down to a small number, but that's that's the origin of that section of the Mass, wow. is uh, this kind of uh, free and easy, you know, not guilt-ridden, but just, you know, kind of laying the cards on the table, being truthful. You know, real humility is truth. And so, and they would say, before we're going to continue with this Mass, before we're going to receive the Eucharist, we're just going to place ourselves before our our God in heaven as we actually are. You know, not not kneeling, making ourselves smaller, or standing on our tiptoes, but standing at our, just at our personal human height, presenting ourselves to our Lord in truth. So mm -hmm. we're beginning the Mass on a, on a note of truth and honesty. Yeah, it makes me think of 
that part of the morning offering prayer where mm-hmm. we offer everything, our works, our, 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 our prayers, our works, our joys, and our yeah. sufferings, that every part of us, you know, being just honest and completely truthful uh, there in our relationship with God, that we're not holding back some part of ourselves and saying, well, you can have all the things I want to show you, but, you know, this I, I'm, I'm going to kind of keep this back hidden for myself. Yeah. Um, and when we do that, it really allows God to work in a deeper way in our lives when we're not holding back anything. So much about how to love is really taught or experienced at Mass. You know, we have this beginning of this sense of uh, honesty and humility. Uh, we have these beautiful words, this is my entire body, this is my body and my blood given for your happiness. The Mass really is the school of love. If you, if you need a weekly reminder on how to love your family, how to love your spouse, uh, how to love it all, everything that you need to know is really contained in the Mass. It's the school of love. Uh, and that only happened because of the uh, power that the early church felt in the resurrection. That's why Sunday, every Sunday is Easter. Uh, so you can, I think, just a very beautiful way of continuing this idea of Easter throughout the year is, strange as it may seem, as kind of funny as it may sound, every Sunday morning, January, February, March, April, the whole year, you can actually say to your family, Happy Easter. We're going to Mass. Mm. So, Father Dave, we're down to just a couple minutes left here. Mm. What are you going to do today to make this a celebratory day? How are you personally going to live out the celebration today uh, through the afternoon? I think just, you know, uh, just the the way I greet people. you know, I think just kind of continuing saying that phrase, Happy Easter, Happy Easter season, uh, as uh, we talked with, with Nancy, that great call from Sacramento. I think uh, just that, you know, kind of embodying that sense of happiness and that sense of hope uh, that, you know, not, uh, you know, always kind of complaining about this restriction or that restriction or when are we going to do this or that. Uh, but just to kind of, in my greetings, in my facial expressions and how I approach people just to have that sense of joy, but but say it connected to Easter. It's not just because I had a good breakfast or I just had a cup of coffee, but just to, to connect it with uh, Easter, you know, by using that phrase, happy Easter, happy Easter season. Um, not a lot of practical things that we can do. It's not as, doesn't have as many things connected to it as Christmas does. Really is more of an attitude. Um, but I think if we if we have that attitude, that positive attitude of happiness, of love, of joy, and we use the phrase "Happy Easter season," I think that's a that's a beautiful way of just kind of keeping this uh, Easter season alive. Father Dave Heaney, we're down to a, just about ten seconds for a final blessing for our listeners. May Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father Dave Heaney, our our guest, our spiritual director here on The Inner Life today. And uh, what a wonderful conversation. If you missed any part of it, you can always go back and listen to the podcast at RelevantRadio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. And hope you'll join us tomorrow here on The Inner Life. We're talking about the resurrection. Well, that means that we have the hope of salvation. What does it mean to be saved? We're going to look at that tomorrow here on The Inner Life. I hope you'll join us. And, of course, stay tuned. We've got Mass coming up next. Thanks to Jake Moore and Jim Shaper for helping to run everything behind the scenes today on the show. And have a blessed Holy Monday here in the Octave of Easter. Easter.